Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to Buffalo Shots Podcast. Hello again and welcome to another Horror Shots Podcast with me, Casey. This podcast is once again brought to you by the wonderful people and the wonderful site of morbidlybeautiful.com. Now this month of June, we're just starting right in the first week, and you should know that it is Pride Month. And no matter what your beliefs or your opinions are on how other people live their lives, I think one thing we should all agree on is that Everybody should have the fair and equal right to love whomever they want. Doesn't matter if it offends you. It's kind of not your business. So in the honor of Pride Month, go check out morbidlybeautiful.com for a whole bunch of great content that's going to be going up throughout the entire month. Stephanie, the editor-in-chief, the owner, the head honcho, just posted a very, very powerful and moving piece just the other day. So go check that out. It's an amazing piece of writing and it just everything you could ever ask for and it kind of really just exemplifies what pride and diversity and horror and everything is all about and the whole pride thing is something i might even look into a little bit later on this month i'm thinking about it i'm looking into topics so we'll see what kind of comes of that now some housekeeping as per usual to get out of the way of course if you ever do want to contact me feel free to do just that at horrorshots.com Email at horrorshotspodcast at gmail.com. We also have Twitter at horrorshotspod. Instagram at horrorshotsphotography. Pretty much anywhere. Or leave a comment. If you're listening on Morbidly Beautiful, leave a comment. I'll read them. I'll try to read them out on the cast if I see anything that's worthwhile or if I get any sort of feedback or ideas or input or opinions. Always interested in that stuff. Of course... The one thing that you can do to really help out the cast is to A, share. A.1 would be to leave a review. Reviews help little podcasts like me get noticed in the big bad world of the podsphere or the podverse or whatever you want to call it. So essentially, the higher the rating, the more reviews, the more likely it is to show up on search queries when people search things like horror podcasts. It'd be just really cool. That's all. And it'd be very helpful. And I'll read all the reviews I get out on the podcast as well, so you'll have your say. Good, bad, ugly, whatever you want. Tell me how you feel. Tell me what you think. That pretty much does bring it to the end of the housekeeping. Just one or two more things I want to touch on that I forgot last week to talk about. I do have a Patreon. You don't have to do anything with it, but I want you to know it's there in case you're feeling generous. Uh, You can check that out at patreon.com slash horrorshots. And for the next maybe 10, 15 days, maybe less, I'm not sure how much longer there is on it now, I am running a campaign through Bonfire, where you can buy a Horror Shots t-shirt. I think I need at least five people to buy one in order for it to actually be printed and shipped. So if that's something that interests you, you know the logo, the HS with the thing in the middle, that little design, that is on t-shirts. You can check that out at bonfire.com slash horror dash shots. That's it. I promise I'm done plugging all my own stuff. On to the podcast today. 
Well, you already got it from the title. We're talking about werewolves, but specifically the werewolves of Osiri. Now, I just want to throw out there right now that this has a lot of Gaelic or Celtic words, um, names, and all that sort of stuff in the podcast, in what I'm reading, in the research. I don't know how to say a lot of these words, so once again, I'm going to be going phonetically for the most part. If I have any background knowledge on the language itself, I may try to say it properly, so forgive me if I butcher any sort of words or language in here. I'm doing my best. But you may be wondering, what is Osiri? Well, Osiri is the kingdom, or a kingdom, of early medieval Ireland. So essentially, these are werewolves of early Ireland, which have carried over into today. And they do vary from today's werewolves. Today's werewolves, or the North American or traditional European werewolves, are beasts. They transform under a full moon, or in the darkness of night. Something along those lines. And they lose all control of who they are, and they let the beast take over. You can say what it will about being an allegory or an analogy for humans kind of holding in anger until the last possible moment, and it bursts. Or you could just take it for what it is, a fun supernatural story. Regardless, werewolves are a part of our culture. And while the traditional, or North American, or European werewolf is that beast that turns into a man-eating wrecking ball of everything, the werewolves of Ireland are a little bit different. They don't transform as in the traditional sense, I should say. They are just more of a protector and a guardian than they are any sort of beast that traps, hunts, and kills anything it comes across. Now, most of the information I'm getting on here will be from the internet, of course, various websites, including the Living Library blog, Dot com and a blogspot website called ameodruid.blogspot.com, of course. But I'm going to start with a little bit of background, a little bit of information first before I get into some of the stories and recounts and all sorts of fun stuff about this very specific creature. Now, like most mythological creatures that have human origins, so to speak, like a vampire, it all kind of boils down to one family, one person, a descendant, something along those lines, and the werewolves of Osiri or Ireland are no exception. These particular werewolves were said to have been the descendants of a legendary figure named Lenech Felad, whose line gave rise to the king of Osiri. The legends may have derived from the activities of warriors in ancient Ireland who were the subject of frequent literary comparisons to wolves and who may have adopted lupine hairstyles or worn wolfskins while they went, quote-unquote, wolfing and carried out raids. Wolves, though now extinct in Ireland, were once numerous. The Irish were said to be plagued by the animals and bred a typical, special type of dog, the Irish wolfhound, to hunt them. As late as 1650, Coleraine was said to have been attacked by a pack of hungry wolves. The wolves had a long-standing place in Irish culture and Irish literature throughout the medieval period associated warriors with wolves. They invoked a combination of ferocity, frenzied behavior, unpredictable and savage animal behavior, as well as sexual potency and martial prowess. In the Irish literary mind, wolves were particularly closely linked with the practices of the Fianna, warrior bands of landless young men who lived, for much of their time, 
in the wilderness and were thought of as living in close proximity to supernatural forces. Warriors were often depicted with canine attributes and shared a common motif of a wild, disheveled, or naked appearance. They were frequently portrayed as wolves, hunting both animals and humans, and may have worn wolf skins or lupine hairstyle, as previously mentioned, as part of a ritual transformation. The wolf warriors, or luchthan, literally wolf skins, were said to have gone wolfing when they carried out raids. Such associations may have given rise to the Irish legends of the werewolf. Linek Falad, the name I mentioned earlier that I've probably butchered. Hope I'm not too far off, but I probably very much am. The medieval Irish work, Quar and Men, or the Fitness of Names, which was probably based on earlier traditions, gave an account of a legendary warrior werewolf named Lenach Felad. He was said to be the ancestor of a tribe of werewolves who were related to the kings of Ossery in eastern Ireland, which covered most of the present-day country Kilkenny and County Laos, prior to the Norman invasion of Ireland in the 12th century. According to this work, he was a man that used to go wolfing, i.e. into wolf shapes, i.e. into shapes of wolves he used to go, and his offspring used to go after him, and they used to kill the herds after the fashion of wolves, so that it is for that he used to be called Linach Felad, for he was the first of them who went into the wolf shape. That was difficult to read. I had to make some adjustments there on the fly. That was a little uh, splotchy, we'll say. But it's old translations from probably Gaelic into English, so forgiven, forgiven. He was said in medieval genealogies to be the brother of Ferdinac, Mac Duac, the king of Ossory, and the ancestor of its subsequent kings who ruled until being disposed by the Normans. The late 14th century Book of Ballymote may refer to this tradition in a passage which speaks of the quote-unquote descendants of the wolf in Osiri having the power to change themselves and go forth to devour the people. There are many accounts of Irish werewolves appearing throughout medieval and ancient Ireland, including the 11th century poem On the Marvels of Ireland by Bishop Patrick of Dublin, the Middle Irish on the Wonders of Ireland, in the 13th century poem, Men Who Changed Themselves into Wolves. Nennius of Bangers, History of Britorium, or the History of the Britons, presents an Irish version of the latter poem. The accounts describe men who are able to transform themselves into wolves, leaving their human bodies behind. Injuries sustained in lupine form are reflected on their human bodies, while meat from their prey will appear in their mouths. Their human bodies were vulnerable while they were in wolf form, and their friends and family were warned not to move them. Such stories reflected folkloric beliefs that the soul could leave the body and travel, but could not return if the body was disturbed. On the Wonders of Ireland speaks of the werewolves as living in Ossory, but this detail is omitted in the 13th century Norse work, King's Mirror. It describes the werewolves as being humans who were cursed as a divine punishment for wickedness. According to the account, it is told that when the holy Patricus, or St. Patrick, preached Christianity in the country, there was one clan which opposed him more stubbornly than any other people in the land, and these people strove 
to do insults in many ways both to God and the holy man. And when he was preaching the faith to them as to others and came to confer with them where they had their assembles, they adopted a plan of howling at him like wolves. St. Patrick responded by praying for God to punish the clan, resulting in them suffering a fitting and severe, though very marvelous, punishment. For it is told that all members of the clan are changed into wolves for a period and roam through the woods feeding upon the same food as wolves. But they are worse than wolves. For in all their wiles they have the wit of men, though they are as eager to devour men as to destroy other creatures. The werewolves were not permanently transformed, as they either took the form of a wolf every seventh winter or were transformed into a wolf for a seven-year period, following which they would never transform again. Now we come across a figure called Gerald of Wales. The Norse account is clearly based on the earlier accounts of the Osiri werewolves, though without mentioning Osiri, and on a lengthy account in the 12th century, Geography of Ireland by Gerald of Wales. Appointed as the Archdeacon of Brecknock in 1175, he also worked as a historian and writer and accompanied the future King John of England on an expedition to Ireland in 1185. Gerald's Geography of Ireland presents the story of an unnamed priest who is traveling from Ulster to Meath when he encounters a wolf in the woods. To his amazement, the wolf tells him not to be afraid and talks about God. The priest begs the wolf not to harm him and urges him to explain. The wolf replies as such, There are two of us, a man and a woman, natives of Ossery, who, through the curse of one Natalis, saint and abbot, are compelled every seven years to put off the human form and depart from the dwellings of men. Quitting entirely the human form, we assume that of wolves. At the end of the seven years, if the chance to survive, the two others being substituted in their place, they return to their country and their former shape. And now she, who is my partner in this visitation, lies dangerously sick, not inspired by divine charity, to give her the consolations of your priestly office. The priest complies and performs the last rite over the sick female wolf. The male pulls down the wolf skin of the female, revealing an elderly woman underneath, and he does this to reassure the priest that he is not committing blasphemy. After the priest has given communion to the woman she-wolf, the male wolf leads him out of the woods and gives him a number of prophecies about the future of Ireland and its English invaders. The priest is subsequently summoned to a synod convened by the Bishop of Meath, which, on Gerald's advice, orders the priest to appear before the Pope. Gerald himself is unable to attend, but hears about the matter from the bishop's clerks. As several commentators have noted, this story is unique in several aspects. It is the only one in which a werewolf talks, and they are not conventional werewolves, undergoing a full transformation, but are still human beings under the wolf skins. As such, they are Christianized werewolves. They are people created in the image of God who have outwardly changed their appearance, but retain their human intelligence and forms, albeit concealed. The werewolves are also held to be the victims of a curse inflicted on their community as collective punishment for their sins. Gerald goes on to discuss the theological implications of his story, referring to the accounts of werewolves in Augustine of Hippo's 
fifth-century work, The City of God. He reiterates Augustine's views on metamorphosis. We agree, then, with Augustine that neither demons nor wicked men can either create or really change their natures, but those whom God has created can, to outward appearance by his permission, become transformed, so that they are to be what they are not. The senses of men being deceived and laid asleep by a strange illusion, so that things are not seen as they really exist, but are strangely drawn by the power of some phantom or magical incantation to rest their eyes on unreal and fictitious forms. His account of the Osiri werewolves may have also had political undertones as a metaphor for the Norman conquest of Ireland. Catherine E. Karkov argues that the story implicitly portrays the Irish people themselves as being bestial in appearance, yet still redeemable through Christian sacrament, and they were made in the image of God underneath it all. The old, dying female werewolf can be interpreted as a personification of Ireland and a symbol of the passing of the old order, from the native Irish church, with its questionable practices, to the English church. Before I leave you today, I do just want to read you one more story that I found very interesting. This one comes from Lady Wilde's 1887 classic, Ancient Legends, Mystic Charms, and Superstitions of Ireland and we find one of the best werewolf stories of all time. In it, a young farmer named Connor is out searching for some missing cows when he stumbles upon a cabin of sorts. It's dark out, and Connor has lost his way. The host, who greets him at the door, invites him inside. The family then begins to return home, one after the other. It goes as such. Before Connor could answer, another knock was heard, and it came from a second wolf, who passed on to the inner room like the first, and soon after, another dark, handsome youth came out and sat down to supper with them, glaring at Connor with his keen eyes, but said, No words. These are our sons, said the old man. Tell them what you want and what brought you here amongst us, for we live alone and don't care to have spies and strangers coming to our place. Then Connor told his story, how he had lost two fine cows, and had searched all day and found no trace of them. And he knew nothing of the place he was in, nor of the kindly gentleman who asked him to supper. But if they just told him where to find his cows, he would thank them and make the best of his way home at once. They all laughed and looked at each other, and the old hag looked more frightful than ever when she showed her long, sharpish teeth. On this Connor grew angry, for he was hot-tempered, and he grasped his blackthorn stick firmly in his hands and stood up, and bade them to open the door for him, for he would go on his way, since they would not give heed, and only mocked him. Then the eldest of the young men stood up. Wait, he said, we are fierce and evil, but we never forget a kindness. Do you remember... One day, down in the glen, you had found a poor little wolf in great agony and like to die, because of sharp thorn had pierced his side. And you gently extracted the thorn and gave him a drink, and went on your way, leaving him in peace and rest. Aye, well, I do remember it, said Connor, and how the poor little beast licked my hand in gratitude. Well, said the young man, 
I am that wolf, and I shall help you if I can, but stay with us tonight and have no fear. So they sat down again to supper and feasted merrily, and then all fell fast asleep. And Connor knew nothing more till he awoke in the morning and found himself by a large hay rick in his own field. A wolf then brings Connor some new cows. Surprised, he realizes that it's the same wolf which had said it would help him in the cabin. As a result, Connor sees himself as a friend to the wolves for the rest of his life. So again, this kind of changes the tradition of the werewolf as we know it in North American culture or even general European culture. I mentioned in the little blurb in the description of this podcast episode that the werewolf's act is kind of a protector or a guardian to anybody. Not everybody, but potentially anybody. And this is a prime example of that, where the wolf helps this young man, Connor, to find his cows. And since they couldn't find the cows, or whatever the case is, brings some new ones. Because of a kindness he showed towards a wolf in the past, which just happened to be the man. There's also so many, you know, again, allegories and metaphors and whatever you want to call it throughout that story. Do on to others that you want done to yourself. Karma, kindness, all that sort of stuff. Just goes to show that morals have been ingrained in stories forever. That's not a surprise. Anybody who's read any of the grim fairy tales or anything like that would have an understanding of what I'm talking about here. Nevertheless, these werewolves are often guardians and companions to those lost. In the other story about the priest, again, the human nature of the wolf does outshine the sort of bestial nature that wolves are shown to have. I'm glad I came across these Irish werewolves and the Irish werewolf stories because they're different. And different sometimes can be good. Hell, different sometimes is good. The same old, same old is boring. Who wants that all the time? So that's why I did The Irish Werewolf. I will be back again next week, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm going to try my best to find something in the realm of the supernatural that encompasses diversity as well as sexuality in the sense of this being Pride Month. Let's see if we can come up with something together. If you have any ideas or something you want me to look into, absolutely let me know by any of the ways I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast. Uh, Leaving a comment would probably be the quickest way for me to see this if you're on morbidlybeautiful.com. But until next week.